Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. I'm Dr Anna Volkma, and I'm delighted to be back in the hot seat today, hosting this week's Dementia Researcher podcast. Now, we're going to be discussing cognitive stimulation therapy, or CST. And for those of you who don't know, this is a behavioural intervention for people with mild to moderate dementia. Now, as a clinical academic speech and language therapist working with people with dementia in the UK National Health Service, I have often delivered this intervention myself. And today I'm delighted to be joined by two researchers, Emily and Esther, who are from the Department of Clinical, Educational and Health Psychology at UCL. A couple of years ago, I actually attended an international CST or Cognitive Stimulation Therapy Conference in Hong Kong. So I feel that this is the wrong time to start boasting about international travel, but I do believe that Hong Kong is actually where one of our lovely guests, Esther, is actually living or staying at the moment. Is that right, Esther? Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. I am Esther. Um, so I'm currently in Hong Kong right now because of the pandemic, but I'll be returning to London very soon. Um, and I hope you had a great time, Anna, uh, when you were in Hong Kong. I guess a little bit about myself is I'm a final year PhD student. And um, for my PhD, I am making and testing virtual versions of individual cognitive stimulation therapy in Hong Kong, as well as in the UK. So I became interested um, in working with people with dementia after double majoring in psychology and biology during my undergrad um, in the States. And dementia is a lot of, it's a condition that combines a lot of my interests and my grandparents unfortunately um, also have it. So there's also like a personal connection. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I love Hong Kong by the way, it's a beautiful city. <laughs> And um, it was at, the conference was at Hong Kong Uni on cognitive stimulation oh. therapy. It was superb. It was a really great combination between a clinical conference and an academic conference, which was really uh, it was one of the first um, kind of combined conferences I attended. Like that it was great. So sorry, yeah, that's really good. You. We've met you, but I'd really love um, for Emily to also to introduce herself, if possible. Yes, of course. Hey, hi, everyone. I'm Emily Fisher, um, and I'm currently the programme manager for the CST International Study, which is based at UCL. Um, and the study explores implementation of CST in diverse settings across the world. So um, that's three countries, Brazil, India and Tanzania. Um, and I've also recently started a part time PhD. Um, alongside my role and that's studying implementation of psychosocial interventions in the UK. Um, and just a bit about my background, so I previously worked in the UK charity sector in dementia and ageing charities before making the move into the research world um, through a master's in dementia at UCL. So perhaps Emily, before we carry on, you could actually explain, I mentioned a little bit about what cognitive stimulation therapy is, perhaps you could explain to our listeners what cognitive stimulation therapy actually is. Would that be all right? So as you said, cognitive stimulation therapy or CST um, is, a, is a behavioral intervention. So it's a brief evidence-based group intervention for people with mild to moderate dementia. 
and it typically involves about 14 sessions twice a week, which run for around 45 minutes each. And the sessions are structured with different activities, which are designed to be engaging and stimulating. And each session follows a general theme. So some of the themes are, examples of the themes are physical games, current affairs, and being creative. Um, and one of the key things about CST is that it's guided by some key principles. And there's 18 in total, I won't go through them all, um, but some of them include focusing on opinions rather than facts, um, using reminiscence as an aid to the here and now, um, and generating new ideas, thoughts, and associations. Um, so overall, it's a, it's a group intervention, which is actively stimulating and engaging in a social and optimal learning environment. Thank you, Esther. I always find that um, key principle around focusing on opinions rather than facts particularly helpful. Um, I think it really reminds people to not test people with dementia on their memory or their knowledge, but actually ask an opinion-based question which, for which there may be many different answers or, or kind of positions. Exactly, yeah. So it shouldn't feel like school or a test or, you know, it's, it's challenging, but not putting people on the spot. It's kind of getting them thinking and, and sharing ideas and opinions, but in a, in a kind of low pressure, supportive environment. That's brilliant. I, I, I'm, I'm always trying to explain what those kind of opinion based questions look like. And I think I often say things like, which is your favourite or um, which of these do you think have something in common or which of these, um, you know, it, it, I guess it's about asking people what they think of something, isn't it? That, that kind of stuff. If I was somebody who had mild to moderate dementia, in the UK, would I be able to access this through the National Health Service? Should I take this one? Um, yeah, sure. so, um, yeah, so you would be able to um, access CST through National Health Service or NHS um, memory clinics. So these are the um, memory and assessment centres where people first get a diagnosis of dementia. Um, and following the diagnosis, you'd be offered CST. Um, and we did an audit recently that found that about 85% of memory clinics are offering CST. So it's not everywhere, but it is, it's really widely available through um, the NHS as a post-diagnostic intervention. Um, there's also other places where people could access CST. Um, so there's longer term CST, which is known as maintenance CST. Um, as well as individual CST. This doesn't tend to be delivered as much through the NHS. It's often delivered through um, third sector organisations. Mm. Age UK is, is one example. Thank you. I, that was a bit of a trick question, really. I had a hidden <laughs> I, I have myself delivered <laughs> CST in, and actually in, um, in kind of outpatient settings, in in um, where in day centres, but also in nursing homes and wards, um, and often it's been myself and or the occupational therapist and or the psychologists who've kind of either collaborated or led on them, um, and I I think that's really helpful for people to know, isn't it? It might it's not necessarily owned by one discipline, 
um, it's actually something that spans across disciplines. It's often delivered a lot by the multidisciplinary team. But perhaps Esther, you could tell us about the actual evidence. Is there any actual evidence? And what are the outcomes from CST? Does it actually work? If it's delivered, let's hope so. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, and it does work. So multiple clinical trials in the UK and also globally um, consistently demonstrates that CST significantly improves cognitive function, um, independence and well-being. So these are some of the key outcomes of CST. So the CST research itself actually started quite a while ago now in 1998. Um, and the first major study came out around like 2003. And since then it's been tested in many different countries and now it's offered in I think more than 34 countries. Um, it is the only non-drug treatment recommended by the UK national guidelines. So how does CST exactly work? Um, it's a bit unclear, unfortunately. We don't really know exactly what are the active ingredients of CST. So that's research still needs to be done there. But we do know from past studies that it stimulates executive function and brain areas that relates to language and also memory processing. Um, CSC was also designed based on theories and concepts like reality orientation, um, reality, uh, reminiscence therapy, use it or lose it, biopsychosocial model and multisensory stimulation. That's, that's a lot of different theories and concepts, but um, I think what my supervisor did, um, so she was the she developed the original CSC, um, is she looked at what was working in the past and kind of picked different pieces of it and came up with like CSC. So um, we have some idea of how it works, but not exactly. So yeah, yeah. and that's Amy Spector, Professor Amy Spector, isn't Professor it? Professor Amy Amy Spector, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, she was my second supervisor on my PhD, actually. Oh, great. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, um, and I remember um, where we've, I've talked to her a lot about how it works. And I, mm. I remember saying I'd love to do a conversation analysis study, like video recording the CST therapy sessions to see what people are actually saying. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is a little bit off tangent, um, but on the this is not part of my PhD, but we're looking like at fidelity um, oh, yeah. as well. So um, I made a fidelity measure for CST as well as ICST. So we're recording all the sessions and looking at how people, are, what are they saying and exactly, and then trying to mm. analyze that. So, so yeah. oh, that's interesting. So you're, you're recording them, transcribing them and kind of looking at the key components, but not necessarily using conversation analysis. Perhaps this is a conversation we should have uh, online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where I have a fidelity measure, so I'm checking off yeah. um, specific things, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, so not the same as Maybe not the same type of analysis. But, no, yeah. no, I've I've done both fidelity measures. This this sounds like a whole nother podcast, I think, because I think <laughs> it's such a hot topic, isn't it? And it's yeah. a particular methodology unto itself. Um, yeah. But I can imagine, yeah, maybe if you've got those lovely recordings, I can imagine that would be a great resource for lots of different research studies to analyze what's going on in those therapy sessions so exciting and so important because it's delivered so if it's being delivered it would be really helpful for us to know 
what the active ingredients are because I mean not only the pandemic but certainly I've been in situations clinically and or known of, of colleagues where they want to deliver these interventions and they can't always deliver them to the letter and so mm. I know that and and the pandemic is a good example of that so I wonder how the pandemic you know what do you two know of how the pandemic has affected the delivery of CST and has that kind of inspired you to do your virtual because you're you're working on these virtual versions of CST aren't you Emily maybe we should come to you first yeah definitely um so I can talk about um the impact of, of the pandemic on our CST international study um in Brazil India and Tanzania so um the study started in September 2018 and got off to a flying start with stakeholder engagement and the development of implementation plans so that we could try and embed CST into routine practice or check if that's possible. Um, and then 2020 came along, familiar story across um, lots of research projects. Um, we had to part, pause participant contact um, I think initially thinking a few weeks, a few months, you know, sort of cautiously optimistic at the time. Um, but as time went on, it became clear that it wasn't going to be possible to, to restart face-to-face -face groups. Um, so there was a separate piece of work going on at, at the University of Hong Kong, um, developing a virtual CST protocol. Um, yeah. So... Um, protocol for delivering CST over Zoom um, and this hadn't been done before and we were wondering is this going to be possible um, we all had a vision of what CST was in our head which is groups of people in a room you know throwing balls to each other painting things um, and we thought how will this work over Zoom um, but the team at Hong Kong and a group of trainee clinical psychologists at UCL have tested um, or they're in, in the process of um, testing virtual CST in a randomized control trial. Um, and this was the, it was the protocol for this virtual intervention that we have used to be able to continue delivering um, virtual CST through the CST International study, um, which has yeah, allowed us to maintain participant contact and continue to um, collect data and also I think which is really key is to provide you know where um interventions and participant contact and services have been paused or put on hold um it has felt really positive to be able to offer this virtual intervention at a time when people are isolated and um yeah that has felt um yeah like a really really good thing yeah positive influence so first of all though had you signed up to a job, Emily, where you thought you'd get to go to India, Brazil? <laughs> Is that exactly? Oh no! Exactly. Um, yeah, so I go on lovely virtual world tours through Zoom. Um, <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, no, no international travel as of yet. But <laughs> so, oh, I can imagine it's all coming up. Hopefully, all think well. Yeah, I say hopefully, all things being well. Um, but I'll get, so. It's interesting, though, that there was already a virtual version being developed over in Hong Kong. Yeah. It sounds like there was, and actually it makes sense, doesn't it? There really potentially already was a need for a virtual version of CST. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think 
the virtual CSC project in Hong Kong was actually planned like way before the pandemic um, because there, I guess there are people who lack transport provision. There are people that have limited mobility and other health issues that prevent them for, to get to like a CSC group or like in-person one. So um, yeah, so they, they were ahead of the curve in planning this, like I think, way before the pandemic and I think when the pandemic hit it just like made sense that this really needed to uh, this research need, really needs it's really helpful and um, yeah mm, so and I actually collaborated with them for my PhD project uh, which has been very helpful oh that's brilliant so you've been able to collaborate with an existing group yeah so um, because I was developing it in Hong Kong as well as the UK simultaneously uh, at the same time so mm -hmm. Um, having the Hong Kong team mm. uh, working on it a little bit before like I did it was very helpful because um, they kind of helpful in terms of like cultural adaptation as well as um, the virtual aspects of it so yeah yeah you didn't have to reinvent the wheel although there's a there's yeah. already a protocol isn't there for uh, delivering CST did you have to redesign the actual protocol in order to deliver it for the virtual world um, yeah, for I think well for my particular project is I have to like redo it because it's individual. So the sessions, the themes are are different from the group version. Um, yeah, so yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, but maybe Emily can comment on the group mm -hmm. version. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, for the group group CST, um, there is already a, quite a comprehensive protocol um, and different manuals that that um, people follow. But yeah, obviously that wouldn't you couldn't follow that um, to the T for um, for virtual CST. Um, the, the team at UCL and in at Hong Kong University um, carried out stakeholder engagement and field testing. So they spoke to people with dementia who had been in virtual CST groups and pe people who delivered virtual CST along with some service managers from, um, from the charity sector, um, just to get an idea of what kind of adaptations would be needed and what kind of support would be needed to, to run CST, virtual CST groups. Um, and yeah, the output of that is some, um, we've published some provis uh, provisional guidance for um, virtual running virtual CST groups on the International CST Centre website. Um, but hopefully by the time the podcast is out, we'll also have a, um, a paper published, um, which outlines, um, outlines the stakeholder engagement and field testing work, and then also has a, a full protocol to follow for, for virtual CST. So that's for the groups, but you're also, I, I think it's Esther, your work is around individual CST, is that right? Yeah, so individual CST, do you want me to talk about individual CST? Yeah, or? I'd love to hear about the individual. Uh, it's quite different, like, and, and yeah. Emily painted this picture of, and this has been my experience of delivering it, this picture of people sitting in a group, answering questions, quizzes, throwing balls to one another, whereas individually yeah. it must be quite different. Yeah, it's very different. So I think in like a typical in-person CSE group, there will be around like maybe eight people um, in a group. So it's quite a, like a number of people. I think in a virtual version, they probably have like four to six. Um, so individual is definitely um, different. 
Um, but I think there was a need for individual even before the pandemic. So um, because there are people who just cannot join groups due, due to like in sensory impairments, like hearing loss or um, things like that, uh, as well as people who just cannot travel. Because I think with the original in-person individual CST, um, the facilitator would go to the person's home and then deliver. Um, which is very helpful if the person is uh, in more moderate stages of dementia, because then um, they might not be, be able to participate in a group um, like people in with milder dementia. Um, yeah, so, and we thought that it, it, it's hard for people to engage, like even for me, like to engage in a video conferencing like platform, it's much easier to have meetings in person. Um, and on top of that, people with dementia may not be the most familiar with technology. Some might find video conferencing a little bit confusing and distracting. Some might think like they're looking at a TV and why is the TV talking to them? Mm -hmm. It can get a bit um, overwhelming as well as confusing. So we thought that um, some people might be able to engage better on a one-to-one -one basis especially if they are more moderate. Um, yeah, so the original version of individual CST that's in person was delivered by Keras. It was also like 75 sessions long, so a lot longer. But recently, um, I think in 2019 or 2020, a, a shorter version that's 14 session came out. That was, and the psychologist actually delivered this um, version that it had positive effects on co people's cognitive function. I adapted my virtual version based on this uh, newer version of ICST. And it's, um, I would say that it's more similar to the group-based CST with, that has like stronger evidence for cognitive function and also quality of life. So it's still called ICST though, but it's like a, the shorter version as well as um, the virtual version, yeah. And is that also delivered by the carers or delivered? No. no, okay. Delivered by psychologists. And I think that's actually a key difference because um, I think interaction are just like really different if it's delivered by somebody who is family or someone that you're close to. Um, yeah, I think past ICSC studies um, from the original trial, um, they had a problem with adherence. Yeah. Um, and I think with, when you're like, when you schedule an appointment with somebody, you're more probably more likely to show up than if you schedule an appointment with sadly a family member or carer Absolutely. or, yeah. It makes a lot more sense. And you know, if my other half yeah. start telling me how to do <laughs> some therapy tasks, I probably not be as receptive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I think one good thing about like still having the carer deliver it is it makes it a lot more accessible. Yes, um, because then you don't need like somebody who is trained to deliver something, which um, could be potentially a manpower issue, which is part of the reason probably. Um, this is not probably based on evidence, but it could be why ICST is less cost effective aside from the group aspects of CST. Yeah. Um, but I think by making it virtual, you're cutting down time, you're cutting uh, down like potential costs as well. So which is 
um, quite beneficial, I think, um, especially for those who can't join groups. Yeah, and there are always going to be people who can't or don't want to. So if, yeah. you, if, the, if the difference is nothing or this, there's that's also still presumably on a certain level has some cost effectiveness element to it. It would be really useful to, to do some cost of effectiveness evaluation, I presume. But yeah, I, I'm always yeah. people and they say to me, I've never been a group person. I'm not a joiner. Don't even ask me to join. <laughs> And yeah. that, I always forget that because I'm a big joiner. Which <laughs> I love a group. <laughs> I love a group. So we've already started talking about some of the results and findings of your research. And that's what I actually wanted to ask you about next. So is it worth it? To, you know, what are the results of your studies? Who wants to go first? Perhaps Emily, should, do you want to go first? Yeah, I definitely can. Um, so... In terms of the findings from CST International, um, yeah. one of the things to highlight here is it's an um, implementation study rather than an efficacy study. So um, we are collecting pre and post intervention outcome data in terms of cognition, quality of life. Um, but that's just kind of one aspect of, um, of the study. So we're also focusing on um, kind of acceptability, ability to recruit participants um if it's possible to kind of embed the st into a, a service and um change policies around um around um service provision um so very initial findings um, are that um virtual cst is um appears to be feasible and um, acceptable to both participants and facilitators because um, that's one of the, the key things to consider if um, yeah if people are if the facilitators enjoy it and you know find it um, worthwhile and it's not too time consuming and I would add a caveat that it is really important to consider that um, we've not actually been able to roll out virtual sessions in every study site through CST International. So one of the sites in India and one of the sites in Tanzania, it just hasn't been possible. There isn't the, the technology infrastructure to deliver virtual sessions. Um, so they have been able to deliver face-to-face -face CST sessions there um, with kind of COVID restrictions, um, and safety considerations in place. Um, but I think that's, yeah, it's kind of virtual CST isn't this kind of, you know, catch-all um, intervention that will fix problems related to, to COVID restrictions or, you know, um, mm. due to geography um, or travel, um, you know, travel problems and mobility issues. So, um, yeah, that's definitely something that we'll be looking into more in terms of kind of the patterns of exclusion and um, looking at whether this might differ by socioeconomic status or particular characteristics. Yeah, like candidacy characteristics, that makes yeah. sense. I think you're right, I, I like that phrase. It's not catch-all, we don't have a magic wand yeah. <laughs> for interventions, do we? It has to be much more individualized. I see that completely. And. Um, Esther, would you like to tell us a little bit about the results of your research now too? I think um, it's definitely possible and we're delivering uh, 
CSC uh, ICSC virtually. Um, so I was doing this, I was developing the intervention for Hong Kong as well as um, the UK. Um, so my Hong Kong study was a small mixed method case series, uh, which means I think mixed methods means um, there's a qualitative as well as a quantitative component to it. So we're collecting both types of data. Um, and the UK study is a feasibility randomized controlled trial. Both of these studies are very small, so I can't really draw any like firm conclusions on like treatment efficacy and uh, things like that. But um, we found from the Hong Kong study that's completed already um, that delivering virtually works because um, we didn't know if it was going to work um, in Hong Kong before, um, especially with older adults. Uh, some older adults are a little bit hesitant to use technology. So I actually was pretty hesitant when um, I took this project. I actually switched projects because this wasn't my original PhD project. I had to switch because of COVID. Um, yeah, so, and a lot of people in Hong Kong through the qualitative data, we found that they prefer the remote option because a lot of the carers were actually adult children of the people with, um, of the people with dementia. So they had to work during the day. So some of the comments were like, oh, it's really hard to like bring them to a care home like because I have to work. And when I come back to work, it's already like really late. Um, so having that remote option, especially I think at the time they were working from home, um, it was really easy for them to just like switch on the computer um, and then um, receive therapy. And yeah, um, for the UK study, um, it's still ongoing and I'm blinded. So I can only speak from like the therapy sessions that I delivered. Um, it seems to be going it, going pretty well. Um, I'm quite optimistic about it. Uh, we, we know that it's feasible. So I, I hope, it seems like it is feasible, I should say, um, and acceptable, but, I, um, but I'm blinded to other participants, so I, I don't know yet. But the Hong Kong study um, will come out in um, soon, so it's under review right now. So that study, I can say, is feasible, acceptable, and also culturally appropriate. And did you, yeah. I mean, one of the things that really impresses me most about this work is the collaboration internationally with Hong Kong. But going back to that conversation about opinion-based questions, I remember when I was at the conference in Hong Kong, I was chatting to mm -hmm. somebody and they were saying in some discrete cultural groups, it's really not appropriate to ask people opinion-based questions. And so I wondered <laughs> actually if you, how and whether you've had to adapt the intervention for different cultural needs at all. Yeah, so I definitely, had to adapt um, the Hong Kong one culturally as well. But I think the good thing about my project is a lot of the work has been done already, like with the CST, yeah. like Hong Kong, they already have a manual out. So I can, um, while like ICST is a bit different, a lot of the content is similar. So I could um, kind of, I collaborated with them and then I used a lot of the information. But with individuals, because everyone is so different, I had to add a quite a bit more um, cultural adaptations on top of what was existing. Um, but the good thing about CST, it does offer a very flexible template that's feasible for um, different cultures. So the general content and structure of the therapy 
remained the same. Um, most of the changes I made were um, the, the content, like part of the content, I guess, like to make things a little bit more familiar and um, yeah, more familiar for the participant. Um, an example of this is I rephrased some sample questions. Um, who would you invite if you were to host a party? I changed it to who would you invite if you were to host a dinner banquet? Uh -huh. um, yeah. yeah, so because older adults in Hong Kong don't tend to have parties. <laughs> they have like yeah. large meals with people. Um, but coming back to your question about opinion based, I think as a whole, maybe Hong Kong Chinese tend to be a little bit more reserved, but they do have opinions. And the good thing about one-to-one -one is that they kind of have to answer. I think in the, in the group, you can kind of like dodge um, answering. And I think that was one of the comments on like the CST Hong Kong study in the past. Like they said that um, some people were reserved and they were less likely to speak. But I think the good thing about one-to-one -one is it the facilitator can really encourage them too, which works well actually for uh, this culture. I, I like the whole Chinese culture, I guess. Yeah, um, mm. yeah. we actually have um, a cultural adaptation guidance published uh, from CST International. Um, and uh, I think the first step is engaging local stakeholders. So I, I did that with mine too. I, um, I talked to a lot of stakeholders and collaborators to find out if things were going to be feasible um, and also culturally appropriate. So that has been super helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Emily, do you want to add to how um, CST was culturally adapted? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so the, yeah, there's some guidance. I think it came out in 2014. Um, so yeah. it's kind of a template for adapting CST to, to different cultures. Um, and as Esther said at the, the start of the podcast, I think CST is now delivered in about 34 countries. So the, the guidance is doing yeah. its job. So um, <laughs> people are able to, to um, follow this guidance and, and culturally adapt. CST um, is more than just translating, like you said, there's kind of um, lots of considerations to take into account. Um, so there's stakeholder engagement, and then also thinking about um, theories and, and cultural knowledge, so kind of looking into the literature and looking at other interventions. Um, and then there's a process of reviewing and testing and finalizing the, um, the, the protocol for the adapted intervention. Mm. Um, yeah, see that this is a process that was that took place across Brazil, India and Tanzania so before CST International. Um, so then when the study started, there were the protocols kind of ready to go for people to start um, to start kind of testing through the implementation study. Sorry, I always get really excited you know, <laughs> people in podcasts. But I was getting excited because um, those are, you you described those those guidelines about adapting CST to different cultures. But I know that they've also been used to adapt other interventions as a kind of guideline for other behavioural interventions. Certainly, we've been using them. In oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's a useful guide. It's one of the and CST is one of the first interventions that has made that bigger leap into. And, yeah. and it's so, you know, relevant across 
the world internationally. And um, so it's really valuable for other interventions to be able to follow suit and again, not have to reinvent the wheel. So we, we're using it to adapt some of our interventions for Brazil. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Principles. And the local people in Brazil are finding it really, really helpful to have that guidance there, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah my last yeah. question, though, however, I mean, we've talked about tech already. I want to come back to tech. Tech feels like a really, or technology feels like a really important um, topic, actually, both clinically and in the research world during the pandemic, because we keep talking about converting everything to being remote, to being online, to being virtual, but um, it's not always that easy. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> we're all laughing. It's not, it really isn't, is it? And I just wondered whether you had any strategies um, where you've had to support people, as part, have you had to build that into your protocol? This idea of actually doing some preamble, some pre-work with participants to make them feel yeah. more confident. I definitely, when I screened a participant, I def before even screening, I would send them like guidelines on how to use Zoom, and also I would spend some time on the phone actually teaching them how to use Zoom as well. Um, yeah, but. I think because my sample is quite small, I um, I did exclude people who didn't have access to a computer or tablet or mobile phone or basically video conferencing in the UK. But in Hong Kong, we were able to provide that for them if they didn't have um, a tablet. So we would bring the tablet to the person's home. But uh, yeah, I definitely had to spend some time making Chinese and English versions of guidelines with pictures so they understand how to use Zoom. And to my surprise, it's um, it like it seemed okay. And we had quite a large range of participants too. Like in Hong Kong, we had, we had people in cage homes. I don't know if you know what cage homes are. They're like the people from, I guess, a lower socioeconomical status. So their homes are like a box. Um, so they don't have everything is in like super, super small space and they didn't have a tablet and um, we had to bring the tablet and but somehow because they had internet connection, even in that kind of environment, it, um, it worked, it was okay. <laughs> and we have like people from the opposite end of the spectrum like, as well as participants. So it's really encouraging to see that this intervention can be, um, can work or for so different, can be delivered, I guess, to different types of people, um, even with the technology. And um, I, most people do have a carer though, like, um, yeah, so, but it, in, the, in Hong Kong, they, most of them um, had carers or um, helping them, whereas mm -hmm. in the UK, some were living alone and participated, um, okay on their own like I, I just had a participant finish like 14 sessions did miss one um, but I also built in reminders in the program that I would send automatic emails um, the day one working day before each session so they won't forget and I also call them if so it's, <laughs> it's quite a bit of work um, but I think Zoom is quite easy to use uh, that's a video conferencing application where you, we uh, we used. I suspect that we are all developing lots of uh, how to use Zoom guides 
across lots <laughs> different yeah. across lots of different research studies. We should probably all <laughs> share all our different resources. I suspect all us researchers are spending yeah. time recreating the same things. Um, we should probably uh, share. share those, shouldn't we? I, I mean, it sounds really obvious, but um, yeah, probably we sh we we probably haven't thought of that now, have we? I think it's on our website actually. Um, oh, well, not my version yet. I yeah. probably should do something about my version, but I think there's a group version that's slightly different um, on our, the CST website. Maybe we could, um, yeah, we could point listeners to that because I think that could be a really useful resource for any research yeah. having to reinvent their own, couldn't it? Really helpful. Well, thank you both. I think that about wraps it up for today. So thank you to our guests. Esther and Emily it's been such an interesting discussion and it's really highlighted many of the barriers that there are in developing complex interventions but also the ways to get around some of these issues also so for anyone listening who didn't know about cognitive stimulation therapy or CST now you do and we have profiles on all today's panelists on our website including details of their Twitter accounts so please do take a look and finally, please remember to like, subscribe in whichever app you're listening in, and remember to visit the Dementia Researcher website, where we publish new content every day from careers and science blogs, job listings, funding calls and events, and so much more. Oh, and perhaps some of my own blogs too. But anyway, have a great day and thank you for listening. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society. Supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.